Hey guys, as always, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Um, today, what do I want to talk about? We're, we're a year into the zone, and I think in light of that, John Skipper's given an interview to The Athletic. So if you've got The Athletic app downloaded, I think the article's for free. It's a fascinating read. For those who don't know who John Skipper is, he he's the CEO of the zone. He's ex-ESPN. So he used to run ESPN, you know, he did all the sports negotiations and so forth, brought Wimbledon to ESPN from NBC, was known, was known for two things. He was known, one, for getting deals over the line, and two, generally overpaying for things. But he managed to get things done. But he's a fascinating character, um, you know, and he's had an interesting year at the zone, it's best to say. So I just wanted to provide just an overview and a discussion around what the interview was. I took a lot from it. And then I also wanted to link that to an interview he gave before the Joshua fight. As a side, as a side note, I never realised he was a Tottenham fan. Had I known that, I probably wouldn't have bothered with this podcast. But I guess we need to give him an airing. And he gives a, just a very interesting take for me. Because British fans are used to Eddie Hearn and his bombast and his spin, which is almost unbearable sometimes when you're trying to really get beneath the business model, and Eddie Hearn's just there with his bluster and his misdirection and the smoke and mirrors and so forth. But actually, when you strip it all away, John Skipper's a very sensible guy, very pragmatic guy, and he probably gives more of a steer of where the zone's headed than Eddie Hearn has ever done. So, no, no, I found it really interesting, and hopefully you guys will find this interesting, because it's a different perspective on the sport. You know, I think, and I won't choose my words carefully on this one, <laughs> I think the zone's been a failure, but I also think the zone's been a success. So it's been a failure mainly from what they promised us and what they delivered. They failed massively. I don't think that's. I just and we can't even entertain any argument to the counter of that. However, from having no the zone just over a year ago to having the content that they provide for us at the price point that they provide, provide it to us as British fans currently, and even as American fans, I think zone's a massive winner. Had zone started off with less bombast and less bullshit, and had, you know, had Eddie been a bit more reserved, we'd be looking at zone as being a massive success and actually being an existential threat to all the other providers. But as it is now, we have to measure it based on what they said. And based on what they said, it hasn't been the success they thought. But if we keep it really high level for now, the DAZN challenge in year two is this. Now that we've acquired some of the key boxing real estate, Joshua, for all of his faults, Joshua brings money in. Canelo brings money in. Golovkin brings some fans in. You know, Andre carries the threat, so he's a hardcore favourite. Tevin Farmer, another hardcore favourite. And then across the estate, you've got young Ryan Garcia, you've got, uh, you've got young Devin Haney, young Virgil Ortiz. There, there are a lot of things that DAZN now have bubbling nicely. And so their question is, in order of importance, how do you monetize these guys? 
Do you monetize them by them fighting each other? Or do you monetize them by taking them across the street? I don't think there's one answer for all of this. I think it's a strategic play either way. But that's going to be John Skipper's main conundrum. Now that you've spent all this money signing people, how do you get your return back on them? Some have shorter lifespans than others, so Golovkin can't have more than five or six fights left in him, for example. Canelo, maybe between seven and ten. You look at Joshua, you don't know how many fights Joshua has left. It depends on what happens with the Ruiz fight, and we'll come on to that later. But then he has a finite shelf life. So then you start to look at your middle tier, which isn't as strong. So your likes of your Billy Joes and your Andrades. Not as strong, Danny Jacobs. Not as appealing. So then you've got to look to that level down of the up-and-comers. And this is where you've got to give his own credit. Guys like Pro Gray, guys like Ryan Garcia, all on the estate. And then the young guys coming through. So you're looking at young Austin Williams, who's doing his thing as well. Young Otha Jones III. All of these guys are coming through. So there's a lot to be excited about with the zone but that doesn't mean that everything's rosy in the garden and there are obviously things that they've learned in the last 12 months and hopefully they'll apply these lessons going forward so the main thing i've taken from all of this is actually what eddie hearn says and what john skipper says don't line up in terms of the strategic fit and the direction that designer headed in if you believe eddie hearn it's all about golovkin fighting, Billy Joe fighting, this guy fighting, that guy, and restoring some kind of sensibility to the middleweights. And that's where all the talk has been regarding the zone because of how many middleweights they have. But when you read the John Skipper article, actually, he's more excited about what you can do at heavyweight. For no other reason, then, that's where all the money is. That's where the draw is. And when the heavyweights are successful, boxing's successful. And when the heavyweights are on your platform, the fans will come to your platform. So that seems to be the focus. Use the energy from the heavyweights to bring the fans in and then all the other divisions support that by delivering consistently strong content between the big heavyweight fights. So it's almost like, it's almost like the wrestling model. You get the Royal Rumble, you get WrestleMania, you get the SummerSlam and Survivor Series, right? And then throughout the year, you get various pay-per-views and various specials, which also keep you interested. But you know when the big dogs are coming out, and it's always four times a year. And you can see the zone creeping towards that model now. And I think it's good for a number of reasons. It means that the heavyweight unification fight is a strategic priority for the zone. I find it interesting that in a period where Hearn has been disparaging about Wilder and has been disrespectful about Fury, John Skipper hasn't. John Skipper is pushing for Wilder and Fury to have a rematch because he understands that the winners of the two fights, Joshua Ruiz, Wilder versus Fury, is that supremacy. It's heavyweight supremacy, and where there's heavyweight supremacy, and where there's one name, one face, one champion, there's more money for everyone, because we've given the fans what they wanted. It doesn't even matter who wins that. You know, would it happen on his own platform? If Joshua wins, then yes. But I imagine if there is a unification for all the belts, 
Usyk becomes a factor, and then could it happen on the zone? It probably could. After the Fury fight, if we're being realistic, the Showtime deal is done. Would the DAZN deal then appeal to Wilder at that point, perhaps? It, all the cards would fall into Wilder's hands, right? Joshua looks mortal. All the other contenders look like they could drop from a Wilder right hand. Why wouldn't you go to DAZN now and pick up that 100, 120 million? Just scoop it up, do your three or four fights, retire a happy man with a great legacy and a great bank balance. So actually, this DAZN focus on the heavyweights is good for the fans, and this is what we should be pressing. This is exactly what we should, we should be pressing for. We should be saying, give us these fights. Stop, stop talking about stuff we don't care about. We, I don't care about Callum Smith. That doesn't mean I don't respect him. I just don't care about Callum Smith. I don't care about the little guys. I don't. You're not going to sell me Tevin Farmer. I like him as a boxer. He's a great technician. But in terms of guys who are going to give me memories... You can park Tevin Farmer, you can park Ricky Burns, you can park this guy, you can park that guy. I really care about the big guys. That is it. And as fans, we should be pressing, look, it's the closest we can get to some kind of sensibility, so let's push for that. Because, you know, we're never going to get behind Progre the way we're going to get behind Joshua Wilder, Fury and Dillian White even. But overall, I was happy with the line that John Skipper took in terms of wanting to build up the heavyweights and wanting to drive customer value through giving us meaningful heavyweight fights that we'll get excited about. Yeah, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And if that does come off, I think that will be the biggest success that the zone can have. He went off in other directions as well. Like he talked, obviously he talked about, you know, they've made a big deal about announcing their fights for basically for the, for the final third of the year, if we, if we really take it from September. So they basically, yeah, they announced the season of boxing, which I haven't really seen before. I know Sky do it, but Sky do it from other providers. These all seem to be in-house fights. And I like it for a number of reasons. One, it gives you that certainty. Much like football. So I know what's going on every weekend. I know where I should be. If I miss something, I can catch it up. Fantastic. The downside is they're not the fights we wanted. I didn't want Golovkin versus Devryanchenko. I didn't want Usyk versus Chaz Witherspoon, a man that buys and sells diesel trucks. They aren't the fights that are going to get subscribers to design. Logan Paul versus KSI, not going to get subscribers to design. So they've built a good concept. They just haven't executed it yet. So let's see what they do in Q1 next year, if they learn from this. And they actually lock in some pretty solid fights. Because I think we're at a stage now where as fans, we're not sympathetic. Considering the money that's available in boxing, we're not sympathetic to learning fights. We're not sympathetic to he needs 20 fights to learn the pro game. We're not. If you're not ready, don't come into the sport, is what we're basically saying now. So we'll see what happens in January and how many of these guys that are on the roster will get put in meaningful and challenging fights. I'm really looking forward to it. I know I'm sometimes down on the zone, but I'm trying to be an optimist on this one and say, maybe these guys are going to push the format forward in 2020. That's what we're really hoping for. But just coming back to the heavyweights, a point that I really enjoyed was, unlike the, the spin and the hyperbole and the rumor and the innuendo that comes out of Hearn's mouth, John Skipper understands that Joshua sits on a knife edge. In terms of his career, he sits on one of those really intriguing knife edges. Not a crossroads, more of a knife edge. 
Were Joshua to win on December 7th in Saudi Arabia, the story of redemption enhances and burnishes his reputation. He becomes a, a legitimate star now. He's lost it. He's come back. You know, fans love that redemption story. Now who's next? If he can come back from that, he can overcome anything. Perfect. If he loses, what do you do with Joshua? Commercially, in terms of matchmaking, what do you do with his career if he loses? He becomes more appealing to guys like Fury. And you can make certain fights, but then your question is, does Joshua really want to do that? That's the question you start to have. Does Joshua want to do that? And if he leaves the sport, how much money does he take with him? Let's not forget, Mayweather took hundreds of millions of dollars away with him when he left the sport. It was also interesting how he, he countered the, her narrative by saying, actually, Joshua's done a lot more for himself by losing. And Skipper's honest in saying, actually, that's not ideal. Because you really want the ultimate good guy, the unbeatable good guy, who just fends off the bad guys repeatedly. But now that he's been shown to be human and mortal, you can't sell that story anymore. So now you've got to resell him as a guy that gives you entertaining fights every time he steps in the ring. That now means that he's got to put himself in harm's way. And he's got to take fights where he could have previously swerved them. He's now got to take them so he can make the numbers up and he can keep the projections high. So Joshua is on that knife edge where he has to win to retain control of his career. Because if he loses, it's a long way back up towards title level. Because there are a lot of guys he's going to have to go through in order to get those title shots. They're not going to come automatically. Another key lesson... I took away, and, I, and I've said this on podcasts, I've said this on Twitter and social media, you can't get deals done in boxing by pissing people off. If ever there's a sport that requires diplomacy, it's boxing. It doesn't look like it, but remember, you're dealing with sensitive people, mostly male, mostly insecure. You have to build that trust up, and I think that's a lesson that the guys at zone have learned. You can have as big a war chest as you like. Money is not everything for a lot of people, especially those who already have money. And I'll go back to John Skipper's interview in June, just before the Joshua fight. And I think he was aware of that. And he's just anchoring this in the athletic interview. Well, I can certainly confirm. It's not mysterious. I did speak to Deontay Wilder. I did meet with Deontay Wilder and Al Hamlin and Shelly Finkel. And we had a good discussion. And uh, we clearly have different, in some ways, different business objectives. We don't have different boxing objectives. We want to get Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder in the ring. I expect we will at some point. We made uh, an offer and the guys were respectful about it, but they chose to do a three-fight deal with Showtime, which I respect the fact they're doing what they believe is the best business for them and the best business for Deontay and they, uh, they know that we want to make the fight, and I expect we'll make it at some point. Sooner would be better for fans, I understand. And it is, it's a shame that business gets in the way, because that's what's in the way. No matter what anybody, e either fighter says, I don't know Deontay that well, but I believe that he sincerely wants to fight Anthony Joshua, and Anthony Joshua, I know, sincerely wants to fight him. How? There you have it in a nutshell. Probably the most sensible take on the whole Wilder-Joshua thing. Both men want the fight. No one's ducking. No one's swerving. There's just a lot of business stuff that's in the way. 
And I think John Skipper's learning, like many promoters have learned. And, and I, I, I've picked this up having sat down with promoters over the years. Frank Maloney, you know, Steve Goodwin, Dennis Hobson, you know. To an extent, someone like a Tommy Dove, you know, Steve Wood, Errol Johnson. Guys you've kind of spoken to either casually or in depth. And they all say at some point they've all done their bollocks. Essentially trying to make things happen in boxing. And you realise actually boxing is a living embodiment of the notion of a fool and his money are soon parted. And I think John Skipper's realised that now. And back to what I said originally, when you're looking for the value from the assets you have, sometimes you have to do these deals. Sometimes you have to say, Joshua, you can't offer Wilder 70-30. Maybe you've got to offer him 55-45 to get this done because otherwise this money goes off the table. If Wilder were to break his arm, if he were to break his hand, all that money goes off the table. And all those years building the tension are wasted. So maybe John Skipper is that sensible voice to overcome the nonsense. Because, And let's be brutally honest. Hearn did a lot of damage to that relationship. And it's not made public. But people that I've spoken to are adamant that the reason that that fight hasn't happened is they didn't like the disrespect. And I think John Skipper kind of alludes to that as well. You know, when he makes reference to, to his relationship with Shelley Finkel back in June of 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. How would you describe your relationship with Shelley Finkel? Uh, developing, right? I, I didn't, I'd never met Shelley before we walked in to have the first meeting. And that's never good, right? You can do business better with people you know uh, and people you have established trust. So... That's what Shelly and I are trying to do now, is let's get some trust, let's get some relationship, so we can figure out how to do this. Exactly. So, and, and this, is, this is what you want to see in boxing. You just want to see people with sensible heads going, actually, let's just go back to the basics here and actually just get on with each other first and then see how we can help each other. That's really what we want to see in the, for the next year of the zone, for it to evolve and to grow they have to become part of that boxing ecosystem where they say, look, we don't have to take every penny on the table, even if we've got the leverage. Let's, let's kick some money back to you guys so that we all eat. And I think the important thing in boxing is to understand everyone has to eat because we've all got to dance with each other again at some point. And this is an acceptance that actually boxing's a longer play than just year, year one, year two, year three. Sometimes to make the fight happen, in 2022, you've got to start the groundwork now. So if we want Ryan Garcia versus Lomachenko, the groundwork has to start now. Can Oscar make a relationship with Bob? Can DAZN and ESPN start building that relationship? We don't, we don't currently know yet, but we have to start the groundwork now. This is why Hearn's approach of getting Devin Haney to call out guys like Lomachenko immediately is infantile and it's childish. And it's childish mainly because what it does is it says, this kid's come out of nowhere and he's going to fight Lomachenko, a guy who over the course of 14 or 15 fights, I lose count now, has built a reputation, has put himself right at the top of this 1-3-5 tree. And Devin Haney, after a few, let's be honest, a few internet videos, a few YouTube videos, a bit of social media posting, is now demanding to fight this guy and saying he'll beat him. That's never been how you do this. Boxing doesn't work that way. 
it might work that way on the surface and the fans see that and go fantastic but there have to be these negotiations that say we will make this deal happen come rain or shine and we're not there yet with a lot of these fights and I think the challenge is actually how do you rein someone like Eddie Hearn in and calm him down and go look stop being such a lunatic about things because he is he, there are times when he has been problematic and how you manage that I don't know because there are upsides to having Hearn, but there are also downsides. Eddie Hearn, yeah, he specifically told us that you had kind of had a word in his ear and said, for the time being, while these negotiations are going on, kind of keep quiet and don't kind of rattle their cage, shall we say. Uh, why did you feel that was kind of necessary? Was Eddie Hearn kind of a little bit of a hindrance? Because we know that the, the back and forth between himself and Shelley Finkel, etc., etc., had been ongoing for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, all of that, mostly, in, in my opinion, is just a distraction. Mm -hmm. Eddie Hearn has done great for us, right? He brought Anthony Joshua here to the United States, very important for us. Canelo just fought Danny Jacobs, who Eddie secured for that fight. So, no. Am I unhappy about any of that? No. Did I believe that doing anything public is particularly helpful? I don't. I don't think you negotiate deals publicly. I don't think name-calling, you know, on either side, yeah. right? And it's been on both sides. There's been some chatter. It's part of, by the way, it's part of the, the game of boxing. It's part of the culture of it. I got it. Uh, but I'm only interested in making the fight. Something very interesting that I, I latched onto in that clip was Eddie brought Anthony Joshua to us. And I know people say it's over a passage of time. But he didn't say Eddie brought Danny Jacobs to us. He said Eddie made the Danny Jacobs fight happen or whatever. He brought the Danny Jacobs fight to us, I think is what he said. I might have missed it. Apologies if I have. And what I take from that is actually Hearn's role is really interesting in all of this. So Hearn is almost like Skipper's right-hand man without necessarily being the the guy that owns all the fighters, he's like Skipper's right-hand man because I don't think Skipper knows how to execute on boxing. But he knows that Hearn does. And what he knows about Hearn is Hearn's reliable. In an ideal world, he'd have done this with Oscar. But I don't think Oscar's the most reliable of characters. I don't think he's the most trustworthy of characters in terms of business. So you're kind of stuck with Hearn. And I think John understands that and he understands that while Hearn may be a thorn in people's sides more often than not, he couldn't do this zone boxing thing without Eddie Hearn. Look, Eddie and I had breakfast this morning. Everything that happens, we talk about, we work on together, and sometimes it's going to be better that Eddie handles something, sometimes it's going to be better that we do it together, and sometimes it might be better for me to try to do it or somebody else. Mm -hmm. So we're practical uh, guys, and ultimately we want to win. Uh, and uh, so we figure out the right way to approach something and uh, do it that way. How would you... Yeah, if you remember, Skipper was never that hands-on in the beginning. But I think as things have got more challenging and more complex, and actually as the bill for boxing has increased, John Skipper's had to come in and go, actually, this needs an experienced head to keep some kind of sensibility or, or we'll basically burn through all our money in three years. But no, but, you know, reading between the lines, he understands the challenges he has with Hearn, but ultimately he needs someone like Hearn. And I'll give Hearn his credit. Hearn is consistent and Hearn delivers. In terms of someone who, who will be at a press conference, who will be at an event, 
who will do the interviews, who will do the press, tired, sick, it doesn't matter. I don't even know this guy to be ill. So you have to give him his due for his work ethic. And I guess that's what inspires confidence in John Skipper. The rest of it you can work on. And as I think as Eddie gets older, excuse me, this kind of behavior will just look embarrassing. You know, he's 40 years old now, and I, I, I don't know if you can still do the same shtick in your 40s as you were doing in your 30s, but that's just a personal choice. But I think probably the, the last point I wanted to touch on from that interview was essentially you're looking at DAZN, and DAZN are operating this hub-and-spoke model. So what DAZN is essentially is just a boxing platform right now. It has other sports, but for the purposes of how we engage with it as boxing fans, the zone is simply a platform. And into this platform, Golden Boy plugs something in. K2 Promotions plug something in. Triple G Promotions plug something in. DeBella Entertainment plugs something in. This promoter plugs something in. That promoter. And we've said K2 already. So all these promoters, Russ Amber, you know, maybe uh, Yvonne Michelle, you know, all of these guys are plugging in, some via Eddie, some via Oscar, some directly into DAZN themselves. They're all plugging in. And so DAZN have the struggle of how do you manage all of these competing interests? They may not all get along with each other. Then you've got to manage the competing challenge of the guys across the street, your PBC guys, your ESPN guys, and anyone that's independent like your Frank Warrens. And so I think there's going to be a big piece in 2020 of let's start to break down the existing friction and all the scar tissue from years of dislike and distrust and start working out ways so we can all make money. I'd like to see that from John Skipper, to just to demonstrate that leadership that pulls boxing into a rhythm and routine where the big fights become more predictable. Because what we can say, and I think we can all agree on this, the zone represents fantastic value for money for a boxing fan. If and only if the fights that we want to see are economically viable on that platform at the price point. Even if you ended up paying, let's say, I don't know, 220, 240 pounds a year. It would be worth it if you got the best fights in Britain, the United States and wherever. It would be worth it. Wall to wall boxing coverage, it would be worth it just for that. So, have a read of that John Skipper interview. I think it's a good way to, to soften some of the tribalism around DAZN and anti-DAZN. Because John Skipper treads that careful line of saying, yeah, we did some things wrong, but we did a lot of things right. And next year we want to do a lot more things right. So, yeah, it's definitely worth it. And I thought it was just a useful, useful thing to get into and a, probably a less confrontational way to talk about the first year of DAZN. But I haven't quite, did, you know, I still need to do the Hearn side of that. So he hasn't got off lightly yet. But as always, guys, thank you for listening. Like, share, please leave the reviews on YouTube, on iTunes. I'll have a read of those. If, if I need to respond to anything, then I'll do that. And as always, Twitter at Highfield Boxing. Instagram at Highfield Boxing. Stay in touch. Let me know what you think. If you agree, if you disagree. Don't be afraid to share your opinions, man. We can always have a discussion about it. No name calling needed. Be civilized, be friendly, and have a great day. <laughs>